the the dog just took too much for me that that did me in the the dog shaking yeah do you not remember he shook for like just yeah. way too long like no dog shakes at all <laughs> they'll do it for a short burst and they do it again but like there's a pause <laughs> they don't do it for the hell it just they hurt me Do you want to hop into the teaser for? Oh no, hold on. Let's introduce. Oh my god! <laughs> Why are you dude. trying to skip the I introduction? I remembered this time. Holy lord, this is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I think I skip introductions because when I'm video editing, the introduction is like a thing you insert in there. It's not something you uh, do. Yeah. I mean, we can start doing that. No, it's but okay. Then we'll, like I, we'll, we'll just have like you know. And today we're looking at. I'm thinking of editing things. <laughs> I feel like it's a it's a staple now that we try to skip the introduction. It wouldn't be okay. the same without. I don't know. Sometimes I cut it out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, welcome to Paths of Fear, the weekly podcast where we give our takes on horror movies and explore the opinions of our audience. I'm Ian. And I'm Marshall. And this week, we're looking at I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It won for our psychological horror theme and was recommended by audience member and guest star of our teeth episode, Muffin. Classic Muffin. Obviously, the most well-known for starring on our teeth episode. Yes. <laughs> no one knows her otherwise. Yeah, yeah no. no. Um, <laughs> this movie was made in 2020, and it was written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. You ever watch uh, any of other Charlie Kaufman stuff? I, I feel like I have. You said the name, and then I was like, hold on, what else have I seen of his? Oh, no, I've seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That, that makes sense. That is very similar to this movie in ways. There you go. All right. Well, do you want me to hop into a teaser here? Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> a young couple goes to visit the boyfriend's parents who live in a rural area. The girlfriend contemplates ending the relationship before it gets too serious. Throughout their trip, conversations rise and fall, awkward silences interrupted by surprisingly astute philosophical banter. When the couple finally arrives, it becomes obvious that not everything is as it seems. The house, the parents, the dog, perhaps even the couple. Yet the girlfriend's thoughts remain in stasis. I'm thinking of ending things. Beautiful. I have, so I have this tendency when I'm watching something that confuses me to rub the back of my teeth with my tongue, right? Not, not, not to burn your chicken pot pie. No, 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 no. If it's boring, I'd burn my chicken pot pie. <laughs> uh, but no, when a, when a movie is like confusing, I'm really trying to figure out what's going on. Not like confusing in a bad way, just like it's that that's part of the investment in the movie is like what exactly is going on. Um, I, I rub my tongue along the back of my teeth. Right. But this movie caused me so much pain because I drank a glass of cranberry juice the other day. So the tip of my tongue is burned. <laughs> and so like I was just in great pain throughout this movie. I was very invested, but I was in great pain <laughs> this movie 
was very uh, tongue hurty for me. Tongue hurty. That's okay. what I rated. Yeah, I heard tongue hurty out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 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 what's the conversion on that? Can you convert to decimal? Uh, if I had to convert it, I would give this movie probably like a. I give it a seven. I think no. I'm gonna go six. I'm gonna go six on this movie. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'm gonna go eight. Okay. Uh, it's funny. I actually, I was actually originally thinking nine, but then I, I also lowered it to like eight. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, I, I really like this movie. Um, I, I think it's really good. I love figuring it out. Um, and I also think watching it a second time. This is the second time I've watched it. Uh, it's really fun. Um, to see things that you didn't see before. Uh, definitely a movie worth watching a second time if you were interested in like what what it's all about going through it the first time. But yeah, I think it's just it's brilliantly done, and I love the story that it tells. I think what knocked off the two points just overall is it's incredibly slow and it's two hours long. Um, so it's you know harsh it, combo. It's it's pretty harsh there. Uh, so I I do have to knock off a couple points for that. I feel like. With this movie, there was so I'm going to compare it to a couple of the movies we've seen as I go throughout, but I think it does right what Mother got wrong and what Ari Aster's films get wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll explain that later. But I think that's what did me for this movie was I really like seeing those qualities. However, I would have liked to see just a little more shock value to a degree. I don't usually want like a crazy amount of like horror or gore or anything to a movie. Uh, but, and here I would have liked to see a little bit of something like maybe if the pig weren't animated and were like this bloody pig walking around and be like, wow, this got really creepy really fast. Yeah. But something like that. I could see that. Well, our audience, they gave it a 5.8, mm-hmm. but it ranged greatly as movies like this often do. Yes. <laughs> uh, from the two to nine range. And yeah, I honestly, I can see any argument you put out there. And it's really, it's another one of those movies that requires a particular tolerance for the type of movie it is. I, I, I'm honestly surprised that we're pretty close in terms of score. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to hop in the summary and then we'll dive into it further? Yeah. We hear the inner monologue of a young woman while the inside of an empty house somewhere is displayed. The woman describes the relationship she's found herself in and how she's not excited like she should be to meet her boyfriend's parents. An older man looks out his window at the young woman, his thoughts interrupting the woman's monologue briefly. She can't quite figure out how long they've been together, nor how the idea of ending things came to be. She estimates that she's been with Jake for seven weeks now, though strangely it feels like it's been longer. Feels like I've known Jake longer than I have. What has it been? Uh, a month, six weeks, maybe seven. I should know exactly. I'll say seven weeks. The assumptions are right. I can feel my It's snowing outside, each breath visible to the naked eye. Jake pulls up to the street corner the woman's waiting on, and she excitedly waves to him and gets in, giving him a gentle kiss. The two of them are going on a road trip to visit Jake's parents, out at their rural home. As they begin to drive, she thinks to herself about how she regrets not breaking things off sooner. I'm thinking of ending things. Throughout the trip, the young woman drifts in and out of her lengthy inner monologues while Jake tries to make small talk. 
As they continue their wintry drive down the rural road, they pass a demolished house with a swing set in the front yard. That's odd. Did you see that swing set we just passed? What swing set? It was weird. It was this beautiful new swing set in front of an abandoned house. No. I missed it. I didn't see it. As the trip progresses, the snowfall becomes heavier. The couple's awkward silences and stints of small talk is interrupted by deep and philosophical conversations. Both the woman and Jake seem exceptionally well-educated and analytical. At some point, Jake calls the woman Lucy. Sorry, uh, what? <laughs> I asked if you want to listen to some music? Oh, yeah, sure. To break an awkward silence, Jake turns on the radio to listen to some music. The song that comes on is one from the musical Oklahoma. After Jake makes a remark about the poet inside the woman, he prompts her to recite her latest work, called Bone Dog. While somewhat reluctant, she gives in. The poem is lengthy. It describes the comfort of being home and the existential terror of arriving and having no one there to greet you. Coming home is terrible. Whether the dogs lick your face or not. Whether you have a wife or just a wife-shaped loneliness waiting for you. Coming home is terribly lonely. The poem emphasizes loneliness, regrets, and the fear of growing old. When it ends, Jake seems almost stunned. He says it feels like the poem was written about him. It's like you wrote it about me. Ah, you know, I, I, I guess that's what one hopes for when writing a poem. Throughout the conversations between Jake and the woman, we observe the daily routine of an elderly janitor. His backyard has the same swing set that the woman had seen on their drive. He's shown going to work at a high school. Both his life and his job seem lonely and mundane. He watches students as they rehearse for a school production of Oklahoma. Eventually, seemingly with no turns nor indication, the couple arrives at Jake's parents' farmhouse. Jake's mom waves energetically from the upstairs window. The couple waves less enthusiastically back. Before going inside, Jake insists he has to stretch his legs, so the couple walk through the barn. As they enter, they're greeted by several sheep, though the woman is a little disturbed to find several dead lambs laying frozen near the entrance. What will happen to the lambs? What? What will happen to I don't know what them? you're asking me. They're already dead, so what else can happen to them? Jake avoids explaining how the lambs died. He instead tells the story of a pig that died in the barn. His parents were busy and neglected to check on the pigs for a few days, simply throwing in food occasionally. But after a few days, he noticed that they were all just lying in this corner all the time. So he went in to check on them. They didn't look well. He decided he'd better try to move them. And they're heavy. They're pigs, right? But yeah, he, he finally managed to move one and discovered its entire underside was filled with maggots. Both pigs were being eaten alive. The couple goes inside the house, though Jake's parents are nowhere to be seen. 
After yelling for them several times, the parents eventually reply that they'll be down in a bit. Meanwhile, Jake gives the young woman a tour of the house. She mentions how the house reminds her of her own childhood home, even thinking that a photo of Jake as a baby is actually a picture of her as a baby. During the tour, the woman notices the door to the basement. It's covered in scratches and taped shut. When she inquires, Jake somewhat nervously tells her she shouldn't go down there, but that the scratches are all probably from the family dog, Jimmy. Oh, hi, Jimmy! Hi! Oh, no wet. <laughs> ah, here they come! The parents then finally come downstairs to greet the couple. The mother calls the woman Louisa. Nobody corrects her, nor does anyone seem to think that this name is incorrect. The family and the couple then go to sit in the dining room, where a decadent food arrangement has already been prepared. The parents are friendly and welcoming, if not a bit peculiar. The mother asks about the woman's paintings. Upon request, she gets out her phone to show them some of her artwork. Upon looking at her phone, she finds several missed calls and voicemails left by someone with the caller ID, Lucy, and slightly older voicemails left by Louisa. Though seemingly a little disturbed by this, she dismisses it and shows the parents her art pieces. They don't know what to make of any of it. I mean, they're pretty, but I don't see how I'm supposed to make me feel something if there's not a person in them feeling something, if there's not a person in them feeling sad or joyous or whatever other emotion you said. Later, the parents seem to indicate that the woman is a quantum physics student, which she confirmed. Eventually, the woman tells the story of how she and Jake met at a trivia night. Her story possesses many inconsistencies, as if it were a combination of different stories or made up altogether. So I, I, I was trying to get up the nerve to talk to him because even though he looked over at me more than once, it was clear he wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, I, I thought you said you were talking about Brezhnev. The perspective once again shifts to the high school janitor who's been having his lunch break while watching the end of an absurdly silly rom-com. Idiot. Over dessert, the young woman talks about studying gerontology and how she's always been fascinated by the aging process and upset with how society treats the elderly. The conversation is interrupted when someone calls the woman. The parents insist that she answer it. The caller delivers a cryptic message. There's only one question to resolve. I'm scared. I feel a little crazy. Here, not lose it. How the assumptions are right. I can feel my fear growing. Now is the time for the answer. Just one question. One question to answer. The woman dismisses the message and returns to the conversation. After a while, the woman gets up to look out the window and sees the weather is only getting harsher. She turns to tell Jake they should leave. But when she does, everyone's gone. She looks for Jake upstairs after he replies to her from above. She finds Jake's childhood bedroom, seemingly untouched from when he was a child. There she finds a journal which contains her poem, Bone Dog, that she had recited in the car earlier. Whether you have a wife or just a wife-shaped loneliness waiting for you, coming home is terribly lonely. <gasps> Sorry, you scared me. Jake's dad finds her there. 
accepts aged many years older and seems to be suffering from some form of dementia. He believes the woman is staying the night and goes to get her a nightgown. In the other room, the woman finds Jake spoon-feeding his elderly mother, now unable to walk and barely able to talk. The woman tells Jake that she'll wait for him downstairs. As she goes downstairs, her thoughts circulate, and she seems to go down the stairs over and over again. I don't even know who I am in this whole thing anymore. Where I stop and Jake starts. When she makes it down, Jake is assisting his father to the bathroom. His father attempts to give the woman an old nightgown with a large stain on it. Jake's mother, now young and energetic, comes in with a basket and asks the woman to go down to the basement to throw the stain's nightgown into the wash. Take the darn nightgown to the basement. Live dangerously. The woman enters the basement and receives another cryptic and identical message. She opens the running washing machine and finds it full of identical work shirts. She also finds many paintings signed by Jake, paintings identical to the ones she showed the parents at the dinner table. Nothing is more rare in any man, says Emerson, than an act of his own. And it's quite true. Upon returning upstairs, the woman finds Jake sitting at his mother's bedside. It appears that she's died, though Jake claims she's just asleep. His father, now young again, exchanges pleasantries with them and wishes them a good drive home. The couple get back in Jake's car and drive off. By this point, the snowfall has become a blizzard. At some point, Jake calls the woman Amy. She seems incapable of remembering much of what happened at the house after dinner. I feel uncertain about a lot of what happened tonight. It felt like everything. When you and Dad were discussing... What? When you and Dad were discussing... It seemed as if everything was slightly... Tariffs. Right. Tariffs. After the conversation shifts from Jake's parents, the couple begins discussing the movie titled A Woman Under the Influence. The woman provides a lengthy and seemingly condescending critique of the film. Mabel tries to slash her wrist. Nick puts a band-aid on the cut. The idiot symbolism is enough to make you want to hoot, but this two-hour and 35-minute movie leaves you too groggy to do more than moan. During her critique, she pulls out a lit cigarette, as if a necessary prop to complement her now particularly smug attitude. Jake says he connected with the film emotionally, though... After the woman's deconstruction, he seems convinced it's not worth articulating why. He then begins to ramble about the source of his existential dread. The lie of it all? What is the lie of it all? I don't know. That it's going to get better, that it's never too late, that God has a plan for you, that age is just Shut a up. number, that it's always darkest before the dawn, that every cloud has a Fucking silver lining! Perhaps in an effort to change the mood and to be funny, Jake suggests they pull over for ice cream. They stop at a place called Tulsi Town, a local chain. Two of the teenage employees seem to recognize Jake, who is clearly embarrassed and refuses to make eye contact. The woman seems to recognize the third employee but can't recall where from. The girl, who has some sort of rash on her arms, mentions how the smell coming from the back is from varnish, and how she despises the other girls. After making them their ice cream, she seems to give the woman some kind of warning. It's not varnish. It's not why it smells, you should know that. What do you mean? You don't have to go. I don't have to go where? Forward. In time. You, you... 
You can stay here. Back on the road, moments later, Jake decides he's had enough of ice cream after barely touching it, noting how he forgot how sweet it was. The woman decides she doesn't want any more either. Jake decides to turn and drive up to his old high school to find somewhere to dispose of the ice cream before it melts inside the car. There's a small road up ahead of us that I know of. There'll, there'll be a garbage can. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should just head home. Upon reaching the high school, which is massive given its rural location, Jake disappears for a moment to throw the cups away and soon returns. The woman wants to leave, but Jake seems to want to stay longer, remarking how nice and quiet it is. He cites some lyrics from Baby It's Cold Outside, which the woman has some choice words for. Really? You want to quote a rape song at me? The two somewhat awkwardly kiss before leaving, but as they do, Jake feels they are being spied on. Despite the woman's protests, he leaves the car and disappears inside to give whoever was watching them a piece of his mind. The woman waits for what seems to be a very long time, and Jake never returns. She wonders how long it would take to freeze to death and gets out of the car to call for Jake, unintentionally locking herself out. Jake! With no other option, she goes into the school looking for Jake. She encounters the janitor, but seemingly afraid of being caught, decides to hide from him. The janitor finds her easily, and she talks to him. You haven't seen anyone around here, have you? What's your boyfriend like? After the janitor asks her for a description of Jake, she can't seem to recall what he looks like. She then tells him that nothing ever happens between her and Jake that trivia night, and then complains about how it was just this guy who stared at her. I can't remember what he looks like. Why would I? Nothing happened. After leaving the janitor, the woman finds Jake. They say nothing to each other, and instead two dancers appear, dressed in their clothes, seeming to represent them. A lengthy dreamlike ballet sequence follows. The dance concludes with the appearance of a third dancer, dressed as the janitor, who ends up killing dancer Jake with a knife. The actual janitor then cleans up the imagined scene. The janitor finishes his shift. He then goes out to his truck, sitting in the freezing cold. But when he goes to turn it on, he hesitates. Instead, he sits back and appears to suffer a mental breakdown. He hallucinates characters from a Tulsi Town commercial while he desperately takes off his clothes. He then follows an animated pig infested with maggots back into the school. Someone has to be a pig infested with maggots, right? It might as well be you. It's the luck of the draw. You play the hand you're dealt, you make lemonade, you, you move on. In the high school auditorium, a version of Jake wearing saturated stage makeup to look older receives a Nobel Prize and delivers a speech about his journey. Decades ago, my quest has taken me to the physical, metaphysical, delusional, and back. Lucy, or Amy, or Louisa is watching him from the audience. She and most of the rest of the audience are also wearing faces saturated with stage makeup to look older. 
After Jake finishes his speech, he sings Lonely Room from Oklahoma. I ain't gonna leave her alone. Going outside, get myself a bride, get me a woman to As the song concludes, we see the school parking lot the following morning. The snowstorm has stopped, and the janitor's truck is completely covered in snow. The credits roll across the screen, with the covered truck still in view. The sound of a vehicle driving close by can be heard. That summary was literally so sexy. <laughs> I think. Gosh dang oh, it. Now man. I have to put that in there. It's <laughs> the only transition we have now. <laughs> um, well, so what t- tell me what uh, really did it for you in this movie. And what, what about this movie was like, yes, that's sexy. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's all the little details um, that this movie spreads about. Something that I think I go really crazy for is tight writing um once you know the whole story it all comes together it all makes sense um you know it's it's really well done writing Uh, in fact one of my complaints of the faculty was uh, the writing felt lazy at times like it wasn't tight you know some things like felt like they're made up as they went along Uh, this movie does not feel like that at all it is a cohesive piece of art that it lays out all these details to tell a very specific story, even if it can be, uh, and, you know, and, and it's it's something that you have to sort of figure out for yourself. So it's it's so that makes it really fun uh, to watch and also really entertaining for me, even if it is slow. So yeah, I think that's what really gets me are all the little details uh, that really put this story together. Yeah, I uh, I do agree. It was very well detailed. It takes a lot of like concentration to really get your own idea of what's going on yeah i feel like it's not one you can be on your phone during because you're gonna be like very confused (laughs) um you'll miss like uh, important very little things yeah there's just so many um i will say i do feel like with a movie in this where you leave things so open-ended i love open-endedness i'm all for it but i do feel like you can throw whatever into the movie at that point and then you can just say it's the audience's job to figure it out right do I feel like I necessarily did that with this movie? They're just like, this is weird. Let's do that. I don't think so. But I think that it's very easy to get that impression off of it. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is it's difficult because, I mean, I really like movies where uh, everything feels like it has meaning. There's a purpose to everything in the story, everything that's brought up. However, with a movie like this, it can often be impossible to figure out the the true meaning behind everything and that's that's part of the enjoyment but also it's also it's it can also be annoying depending um and because you might think that like okay but did that really mean anything in the end uh and then if it it doesn't feel like it really meant anything then that can that can definitely hurt your enjoyment of the movie like i feel like that's what happens to midsommar um, midsummer uh with you was like some things just didn't feel like they actually had meaning in the end yeah, it's with this. I feel so in Midsummer. I feel like it 
lots of it is driven simply by I need this to happen, so it's going to happen. It's not any character decision. It's a writer's decision. Where this movie, I feel like it takes that strangeness, but it is, it's even weirder than Midsommar, the strangeness of the situation. But it's all character driven. It's, none of it is just being thrown into this world. Right. Even though, and like we can get into our theories and all of what it actually was later. But even though this, uh, our main character, this female protagonist, uh, t- I think she was some kind of like imaginative character, but she was still very much a character we're invested in, and she was still very much making her own decisions and had her own thoughts to the story rather than just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Which is how you pull off that weirdness. It's need it needs to be navigated by our character, not just navigated by the camera. So more just of where you're pointing the camera at any given time because just events are happening. Yeah, and, and especially this story is so character driven. Yeah, no, nothing happens without a character choosing something. And that's that's key. I feel like so I feel like it has points up on Midsummer because of that. Uh, it's it did weird, but it did it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I it, it it very much relates to Mother just in the, the idea of like. There's all this crazy stuff happening. How does it all string together? How do you make sense of it? Right. Mother, though, I think it suffered even more from that kind of just plot driven thing because uh, um and that one our main character i don't mother mm-hmm. she wasn't doing anything i think just were happening all around her i think she made like a few decisions in the movie but it all felt just destined to happen so it very much does it so much better than mother and it's probably i'd say it's about just as weird but it's so much more subtle which i think is key i think the subtlety is what can really drive a movie like this mm-hmm. It will hurt it for a lot because subtlety and this kind of psychological horror can be insufferable for some people. And I understand that because it makes it very slow. But I feel like with this movie, the subtlety was very key and it was very wonderful to see. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I I do actually like this movie more than Mother. And I think it's also because I feel that the, the story that this movie tells is more cohesive than Mother's because Mother's uh, story is so connected to biblical uh, analogies and such it, it can be a little confusing and it can also um you know it's not completely original uh, and it's not it's not that's not a bad thing but for this movie it just it feels like a fully original story that's just using a similar weirdness to tell the story of a specific character um just in a really unique way and, and that, that, that's really cool and i also want to say it does a great job with the tone of the movie. Uh, some the thing I'll go off on on Ari Aster's movies, um, Midsummer and Hereditary, the two we've seen, mm-hmm. are that they have this huge crazy thing at the beginning, and the, then they dial it down for like the rest of the movie until like people are dancing naked with weird music, um, <laughs> and that and like this movie, the tone, although it was never like this crazy, like what in the world is happening tone. It was always very kind of mundane. Yeah. It didn't spike at any point and then just flatline. It was, it was a constant buildup, even though it like midsummer went from like a, maybe like a two to like an eight to another eight. And then like down to like a two for the rest of the movie. And then at the end, it was like a four <laughs> Right. where this movie, <laughs> this movie's like, it started at probably like a two and it ended on a four. Mm hmm. Uh, but it, you didn't have the expectations of an eight or anything necessarily. You didn't feel like you were missing something because they kept it relatively consistent. Yeah, I would agree. Which I, I just does wonders for the movie. It really 
just helps the audience, I think, stay tuned in. Uh, I like a midsummer. I just kept tuning out because I was just like, man, when's something crazy going to happen again? Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't think anything crazy needed to happen here. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of fascinating how the movie's able to keep your attention despite its extremely slow pace and its length using like the its dialogue and also like these very specific like awkward moments and just weird things like I don't even entirely know how it does it, but it's able to really retain your attention despite its pace. That puts me on another topic of I really love how the whole movie is very this weird kind of awkward suspense of just like what in the world is going on here? Why is everyone so weird? Yeah. But then in that weirdness, there's a few moments where things make sense, where Jake and our female protagonist can just talk uh, normally. And it sounds like they're almost a happy couple. Yeah, they're just they're just two people talking to each other. Yeah. And it it's it's wonderful. And it, you're like, oh, my God, finally, things are back on track. But then they fall off the rails because I don't know, she calls his mom cold and dead inside. Or <laughs> um, <laughs> just like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. It does that really well, where it, it alleviates you from that suspense for a moment so it can throw you back in later. Uh, and I think although it does pace itself in a very slow way, and lots of it is very drawn out, I think that towards the end of the movie, uh, Jake's kind of like disappearance does it wonders because it's a break from what we're used to. We're used to kind of seeing her interactions with Jake being all weird, but now it's her interactions with this weird environment. And so I think it changes things up for the better, and that's it. Yeah, and, and I, I really like how they transition into the ending. They're so artsy with it, too. That Dude, that dance number, that was... I Like, normally, that wouldn't work in a movie for me, but I was like, that kind of makes sense. To me, it was the fantastic of kind of an imagination, or like, I don't know, like a daydream or something. It, it was a great way to transition those characters who were and felt real to something that, that was less real. Uh, to sort of yeah. create that reveal in a very majestic way. Yeah, it was, and it was wonderfully, and you could tell just how unreal it was because it was a dance number, and so it worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was very shocked at how well that worked. And I feel like that's a really hard thing to pull off to have your psychological horror movie break out into ballet. <laughs> um, I can't, I can't come up with any examples. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe Midsummer should have done. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh. So, yeah, I, I'm really just impressed that they're able to fit in that kind of strangeness to it. I really love how suspicious you are of Jake throughout the movie. I think that was key for the movie. Yeah, because I feel like I feel like the movie is more about Jake than it is about our female protagonist, even though it follows her. Definitely. But we're still very suspicious of Jake and we're very much curious as to like his motives and like if he's actually a good guy. Especially at that, like the, when they stop for ice cream and she's just like, I'm scared for you. And it was just like, oh, dear Lord, we're finding out Jake is a terrible dude. Mm -hmm. um, and that gave you, even though it wasn't entirely relevant to the movie, it still drove the movie to a degree, which was just wonderful. And, and it was also interesting, especially the first time I watched this movie. Um, Jake was actually the guy who I, I felt bad for him because I felt, you know, that he is the sweet guy. You know, he's trying to like make small talk and you know, trying to make things good and everything. But then, you know, he's just like, you know, these awkward silences come in and she, she's not really interested. Uh, but then, like, you do get this transition where it's like, well, who is Jake, really? Mm -hmm. um, and who's this woman? Like, she keeps changing. <laughs> I guess uh, 
something else that uh, I really like in this movie is just how they integrate and really emphasize these aspects of the human condition, just these ideas of existential dread and mortality and like growing old and loneliness. Like it's all these really important things, which I think is also what makes it psychological horror, um, even if it's labeled as more of a thriller. Uh, but it's just it integrates them so seamlessly through these characters, real or imaginary. That's part of, I think, also what what really keeps your attention and what makes it so interesting and powerful. Yeah, it very much explores very relevant things, but doing so in kind of like a surface glidey way where you don't realize it's what you're exploring. Yeah. So I want to get your take on like, what is this movie and what happened in this movie? What like so for me, uh, this old janitor man is Jake. Mm hmm. Uh, and he's I, he might have dementia or something. He might really just be done with his life. I don't know. So he sits out in his truck on a cold day and decides, like, I'm, I'll die in the cold today. And so the thought of, like, I'm thinking of ending things ends up being a thought of suicide rather than of the relationship uh, as he's imagining just kind of this past, possibly a theoretical past, possibly, like, intermixed with realities and such. But whatever the case, he's killing himself out in that truck vehicle and i love that he paradoxically undressed because i feel like that isn't something we see often but it's really interesting that it happens mm -hmm. so for me it was an old man's reflection of what life could have been and what life was as in his final moments and somewhat delirious recollections how about for you and what was it for you yeah i mean i i mean i think that, that that's pretty spot on um now the way that i sort of view the movie like in terms of order of events and, and whatnot I think that at the beginning, the movie goes over and it's looking at o over this house, like it's showing this house when we hear this inner monologue from this woman. And, I, and that's the house that are that's Jake's parents' house. Um, and I believe that eventually becomes his house. Now we see an, an old man looking out the window and he sees uh, this woman stand like standing on the sidewalk, um, you know, waiting. And I think he is creating this inner monologue in his head for this woman who's real mm. um and you know she's getting picked up by someone you know you can see her she's actually like legitimately excited and then as soon as she gets in the car and there's jake that's when this imagination sort of starts this man is uh -huh. creating a story in his head and and like i think there's lots of hints to this uh like for example the poem is about himself both the characters also seem to be extremely like educated in like the same areas. Like they're very well versed on like the same things. Yeah. And I think it's because they both come from his brain. Now, I think, of course, I think she's supposed to represent like a combination of like his past girlfriends or romantic pursuits. Yeah. And that's why like their names keep changing, like Louisa, Lucy, um, Amy. She keeps changing like she goes from like a poet to like an a painter to a quantum physics person and so i think that's why that keeps happening why they're why the story of like how they met like jake and her kept met kept changing um but anyways and we're looking at this and this is like going through his head as the janitor i view in real time he goes to school like he's actually doing his job and part of this is uh when you see uh, they have like this transition where they're sitting at the dinner table and then the camera strategically like makes it seem like the woman is alone at the table for a little bit. And then we cut to the janitor who's watching the end of a rom-com uh, during his lunch break. And I view that as like, oh, he's paying attention to the TV now. So uh, his consciousness empties 
she's there alone in this imaginary world because he's not thinking about it right now because he's watching something. Ah. And then like we sort of drift in and out. And that's also how I view like why the song comes on the radio that's from the Oklahoma musical. Well, he's looking at kids perform the Oklahoma musical and he's sort of inserting that into his imagination. Like it's sort of passing through it. But anyways, I think he's like experiencing like this imaginary world as he's going about his job. And then I guess he he has this breakdown eventually. Um, and he even sees his imaginary woman like in the school, which he seems surprised by. And then, yeah, I think after that, he actually has like this mental breakdown. And then that's actually, you know, when he sits in his car and, and freezes to death. Although what is interesting to me also is there was a scene in the movie that I still can't quite figure out what it means. And that's uh, when the girl at the Tulsi town gives this warning to the woman. And she talks, she says that, you know, that's not varnish back there. That's not what, you know, that's not, you should know what that smells like. And then she says, like, you don't have to go forward in time. And I was very confused by, like, what this thing was that wasn't actually varnish. Yeah. What I thought at first was I thought this has to relate to the dead lambs that she saw earlier. Otherwise, how would she know what it smelled like? Like, what was it? Was there death in there? Was someone, like, dead in the Tulsi town? Um but now I think it might be related to like um, the janitor's like chemicals that he uses or something. Maybe that's having like an effect on his brain that's causing him to like uh, have these episodes and uh, causing him to lose grip on reality. Uh, you, you also keep hearing that message on the phone that talks about like losing, like not being able to be lucid, like losing yourself. I very much want to address that because it says the assumptions are right. I can feel my fear growing. Now is the time for the answer. Just one question. There's only one question to answer. Yeah. So and so I still haven't put it all together. But yeah, I do agree like with the same sort of framework about it being about the janitor who is Jake, just like in present time. And this whole uh, other plot is sort of a a imaginary story going on in his head. So for me, that voicemail is kind of his. It's almost his like subconscious bleeding in, you know, because the phone calls are always very disruptive mm -hmm. and it's very much him kind of like inserting into the story, like his own fears, like his own, because that, that was a very unsettling voice that was yeah ringing in. And as for the varnish, I do think it was probably like chemicals or something that we are that like he's being exposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, it said like you should know the smell and everything. And we do see him in kind of like a supply closet kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't doubt if those did like kind of affect his brain or something to make him delirious in a manner like this. Yeah. Although I do like something that you mentioned, though, uh, which is that like at the end, he's sort of imagining like what his life could have been versus like what his life really is, because um, what we get right before the ending is this like he gives like a speech about like winning a, a, an award and then he sings uh, in front of like this whole audience, like including his parents, including the woman. And, and so like that, that is like what he imagined like his life could be when he was old, because they're all old there. Like, you know, they have like this makeup on that makes him look old. But then like you go back to like where he actually is. And it's very sad. <laughs> I liked that the audience didn't have any actually old people in it. It was all people made to look old. Yeah. I feel like it was almost him recollecting people he'd known, but he hadn't seen in forever. So he didn't know what they looked like old. So he just kind of he just kind of made the mold in his head, which I think was really cool. Yeah. Also, is it just me 
or is in that scene, does his dad's face look especially strange, like disconnected even? I don't recall. I wish I did. I, I swear, like in this scene, like everyone looks a bit peculiar and a little, um, everyone looks a little uncanny. But I, if you look at his dad, his dad looks especially uncanny, like as if his face was digitally imposed on his body. In my opinion, I don't know if that's just me or if there's something there, but something looks off there. I saw this thing that someone had a thought on Uncanny Valley that very much unsettled me. And it was, uh, okay, now I want to know why we have Uncanny Valley. Mm -hmm. But it, they said, like, it implies that somewhere in our history, we had a reason to fear something that looked human, but wasn't quite human. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, oh, God, what? <laughs> don't. <laughs> I thought I could sleep tonight. What do you mean? <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that. There's a, there's a storyline in that. Just as a little side note, hmm. something's got to be made of that. Um, but yeah, it uh, it was really interesting. The dad's overall, or his like all his different like age forms and stuff. Mm -hmm. He he always made me the most uncomfortable. He uh, just his constant constant eye contact and always looking at her protagonist lady. I was just like, oh my god, stop. Look, avert your eyes for two seconds, man. You know, I'll tell you what. One of one of the scenes that made me really uncomfortable was like when she was showing the parents like her art pictures, like pictures of her art on her phone, and then oh, the dad yeah. kept making the same sound over again, like ah, 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 and then like and like it like the camera like focuses like on his toes like moving up and down. Oh god! And like you can see her becoming uncomfortable, and you're like, what's going on? I don't know why I'm really uncomfortable right now. Yeah, that was, jeez. G whiz. That was, that was weird. <laughs> it, it was, I thought it was funny in that t moment though, where he was just like, I just don't get it. What is the point? And it's just like, man, dude, you sound like everyone that looks at art and doesn't know what art is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, I, and I do love, I, it is very like, I don't know, boomerish, I think though, like the way that he was saying, like, you know, I don't get these like, you know, abstract art pieces. Like anyone could do that, but like drawing a landscape. Now there's real skill in that. But I do love how um, how Jake is just like, Dad, you could just, if you want a photo, take a photo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it isn't even like boomerish. It's just like, because there's, I've met people my age that are like, I just don't get this painting. And there are paintings I don't get, but I recognize that like it just doesn't connect to me. It's not a piece of art that connects to me, but I still recognize like value in it to a degree. Did you think that that's like, some sort of uh, narrative of this like movie and how it connects to people of, like, I, I was I thinking that I was thinking it's just like you know sad sad rooms with no one in them yeah I, that's what I was saying is you need to but I feel like it also gave us the purpose of our female protagonist because he said like if I'm not there in the painting like if I don't have someone reacting to tell me how to feel then I don't I'm not going to know how to feel I'm not going to get any emotion out of it yeah and that's almost what she did for the story is she was feeling that discomfort and feeling all the strange happenings around her because that we as an audience were able to feel that through her yeah because when the movie opened all we had were empty rooms hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. and, and but yeah I mean like and for art like talking about art I think what makes this movie good, of course, is that it really does connect with me. Um, you know, it's like the way that the couple interacts and, you know, I can I can, you know, think about like previous relationships and uh, and then just general like human stuff of like, like the fear of being alone. Like it's it's interesting stuff that I think a lot of people can connect to if they can like connect through this medium um, that the movie uses. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's not for everyone, and that's that's totally fair. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting stuff. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say, Ian, but I'm thinking we hop into the survey soon, just because I feel like there's going to be a lot to go through in the survey. Yeah, I think you More are than usual. correct. I mean, if anything comes up in the survey, then we could talk about it there. Yeah, I feel like it's just going to spark a lot of discourse. So yeah. Um. So yeah, as we said, they our audience averaged out at a five point eight, but it was very uh it was very varying it was there was a lot of variance in our answers there was varying variance yeah it was that was the most difficult thing to say but <laughs> so we asked how uncomfortable this movie made people uh this has even more it, it goes from one to nine and i don't know what the average is mm-hmm. it's a uh, 4.8 is our average though which is surprises me. I thought it'd make a lot more people more uncomfortable. But yeah. there was someone who gave it a one. It just didn't make them uncomfortable. This is just like their Tuesday or something, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> They're oh, like, yeah. I mean, I, going on in your life. I would assume that if you give it a one, that probably means it was boring. Probably, yeah. I feel like for the movie to be at all entertaining, it has to make you uncomfortable somewhat. Yeah. I bet we. I bet that would be. Like if I go into individual, hold on. Looking at people's specific answers now. I'm looking for yeah that person gave it a two who gave it a one there so. you go <laughs> checks out um all right and then we had our little pie chart I, if it wasn't clear i think this movie made both ian and i very uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, i'd have to put it on like a seven or an eight on the discomfort scale yeah i feel like i'd have to give it yeah something seven maybe maybe a six i don't know depends i may have to watch it again yeah see how uncomfortable i get um. <laughs> So what aspect of this movie did you feel the most? Like, what did you find most compelling, most disturbing? What commit, what connected with you emotionally? Uh, so here's what you get to get in. Our first one is description and discourse of the fatality of the human condition. Our second one is the passing of time, dreadfully slow in some instances, but startlingly, startlingly <laughs> sudden in others. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't even put, you put startingly and you didn't put startlingly. <laughs> so I had to insert that element. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, the third is the isolating loneliness of a man whose good deeds went unheard. And the last one is realizing time is almost up and not even knowing how one got there. Mm-hmm. Let's, I'm going to go with uh, the, the loneliness uh, or the, yeah, the loneliness one. Loneliness of a man whose good deeds went unheard. Okay, let's go with that. And one of these just did not take the cake in the slightest, Ian. It was, there was no slices of cake taken for this one. Which do you think it was? How about the passing of time? I'm the sure. I'm sure no one's afraid of that. Uh, <laughs> so the passing of time, dreadfully slow in some instances, but startlingly. Yeah. And I know we're others. not talking about fear necessarily. So I guess the most yeah. connection. But that one actually was the most voted. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I was, I was thinking of like maybe I should switch them. <laughs> yours, yours was voted on. It was the second most voted on. The isolating loneliness. The one that didn't take the cake was the description and discourse of the fatality of the human condition. Was it because of how I worded it? <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like it's because it was very much. It, it's like secondary contemplation to get there. Yeah. Because while it is a very prevalent theme, it is it isn't written out for you like others are. Yeah, it's not like staring you in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. You you when you start thinking about it, you can get there. Yeah. Um interesting. For me, I would I would say that it would be that realizing time is almost up. Mm-hmm. Because like that's 
immortality is just a crazy thing, man. True. Uh, did you which one? So would yours be the isolating loneliness, Ian? The one you guessed? Yeah, I would go with that one. Okay. Like uh, the good deeds unheard, I think is definitely a part of that. Because because he mentions that like when he says that like in the movie of like you know it just um when she's like you know I I respect that like you're taking care of your mother and he's like you know thanks for saying that I feel like it sucks when it feels like you know good deeds go unheard or something and I'm like ah oh. yeah. Yeah. So our next ones were optional, but I think everyone did answer them anyways. Mm-hmm. We have, what did this movie do right? What felt compelling to you? Our first one is, I liked how this movie played with perspective and sound. Most of the shots were limited perspective, which gave a sense of detached immersion. The rhythmic sounds, such as the windshield wipers, provide a stark but comforting contrast against the awkward dialogue. The oration in this movie? I don't know. Do you know the word oration? <laughs> no. <laughs> This is what happens when we just ask our audience um, for these sorts yeah, of things. Just, because then we realize, like, oh, shit. Smarter we're, than us. We're, yeah, we're just, why are we the hosts <laughs> of this show? <laughs> a formal speech, especially one given on a ceremonial occasion, or the style or manner in which a formal speech is given. Ah, uh, it's so like the monologue? Yeah, it's kind of the intonation. Or is it like the, just like how they, like the dialogue? I guess, yeah, like, I think it was just like the dialogue and uh, probably her monologues because her monologues were really well written. They were. I, honestly, just the writing in general, like of the dialogue and the monologue were just, hey, they were crazy good. It felt it like was. you were like reading one of those books that makes you feel smarter just for reading it. Well, and this movie was a novel first. Yeah. So it makes sense. Um, the rhythm, the references and the brutal transition between the menial and the existential all gave the movie a very unique feel. Overall, it was a very beautiful film artistically. I'd agree. I don't think there's much getting around the fact that it was really done artistically. Yeah. It's narratively and as a film where I think it comes down to whether you enjoyed it or not. Yeah. I, I do like the aspect ratio. I, I know that uh, the first one mentioned that like it is like the sort of narrow perspective because then I think why people tend to use that when they do is so that you you know, you can fill more of the screen with a person. Yeah. Um, because, of course, people are taller than they are wide. You know, faces are taller than they are wide. And so you can fill more of the screen with a person uh, if you have a narrower ratio. So I, th- I like I like that. So our next is, what the movie did right was capture the essence of what it wanted in a raw and vivid form. That is the most open-ended answer I've ever seen for the most open-ended movie I've ever seen. Perfect for this movie. <laughs> yeah. It suits amazingly well. <laughs> <laughs> the next is the awkward parts in the car with Jake and his girlfriend, the awkwardness with the parents, the dog appearing and disappearing. Yeah, those, those, the awkwardness is really well written. And I feel like awkwardness is really, for me, it's very hard to write. It's, mm-hmm. It feels very forced, but like it's very weird to make awkwardness come off naturally. It is because it's unnatural in its nature. I think that's why I really love The Office, by the way. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I think that it does a good job at that. But but anyways, talking about this awkwardness, something that I thought the movie did so well, uh, Jake would be like confronted with something. Uh, usually like the the woman, his girlfriend would ask him about something like the basement door or the the dead lambs and then he would like interrupt her almost uh, like start deflecting before she even finished asking the question the dog like when it's shaking how like it's interrupted before she can ask like that's kind of weird the parents suddenly come downstairs like even if he's not interrupting her like the story is to like deflect against the weird things going on and like so that awkwardness is really cool like that that interruption so building on the interruption, the last thing I want to mention was when all their their voices sound like they're underwater, you know, like their mm-hmm. their voices go out. And I, I 
I couldn't quite figure out what was going on there. I thought it was like blanks and like things he couldn't remember, but I like kind of had an idea of. I think it's when her, like our main protagonist, is touching reality the most and coming the closest to him. Yeah. Because the two defining moments I can think of is when she goes down and the washer has his clothes in them, like the janitor's uniform in them. And then the time after that is when she's actually talking to our janitor. Mm-hmm. So it was the most wishy-washy for him because it was where his mind was having trouble blurring or like dividing. And it was like, you know, a blurry of what was real and what was his story. Yeah. And then he was fearful of the basement because it was reality and he didn't want to touch reality. Yeah. Oh, ooh, ooh. Mm. Ian, you ah. deep with us? Oh. oh, my God. What a way to capture the essence in a Ron vivid for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's gonna be my review on everything about <laughs> it's just like a clothesline you're like oh, yeah it's, it's able to capture the essence in a raw and vivid form <laughs> um our next is i like this movie because it may seem boring but even after watching it four times i still enjoy it and pick up things i didn't see before that's so many times <laughs> it's eight hours it's a long time yeah that's wowzers but i mean I, I can understand it because I do feel like there's a lot to pick up, but I don't think I could do it. I think it is too slow mm-hmm. for me to put myself like twice, maybe like or like here and there, but I can't do it too much. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I thought the acting was great and it had a lot of really interesting content, even though for me it didn't come together. Also, the dancing was quite enjoyable. I'm glad someone else enjoyed the dancing. Yeah, because it was fun. Yeah, it was. And it was it was really well. I mean, of course, these uh, those were obviously professional dancers. Um, like the choreo- the uh, choreography was like really good. Um, last is the pacing and buildup. The viewer is never allowed to feel comfortable. Definitive answers don't exist. Yeah, I like that. Definitive answers don't exist. I think that is fun. Mm. I th- and I think the key there is like it's cool when definitive answers don't exist as long as it feels like there's a point behind there not being definitive answers. Yeah, it's not just strangeness. And I want to say I this movie. It's interesting because I feel like it's as close you can get to an experimental film without it being experimental. Yeah. Like if it got any weirder, people would be like, oh, yeah, it's an experimental film. <laughs> um, If like horse monsters come out, it's like, oh, this is an experimental <laughs> film. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So our next is what did this movie do wrong? What hindered its message? Our first is I think the plot was hard to follow. I feel like this is the kind of movie you need to watch more than once to get it. I think that was the intention, but I'd have to watch it more to formulate an opinion on whether or not they executed it well. I think that's fair. It's yep. There's a lot of understanding behind this movie. I feel like even though we talk about it as if we understand it, there's so much we don't understand. And that's just, it's kind of just the nature of this movie. But I understand how that can feel like a hindrance for the movie, for sure. Because we're so used to structured narrative in movies. Yeah. Um. What the movie did wrong was display this as a movie. I can understand them not being able to squeeze this into another media. But promoting it as a movie experience was a bit misleading and overall disappointing from an entertainment aspect. Hmm. Well, it is a novel first, and I'd be curious to see what the novel owns that the movie does not. That would be interesting. Yeah. I feel like, though, a movie does work really well for it myself because what in it is the movie has this unique quality of having an ending. So many TV series don't have a proper ending. You don't know if like you're finishing season five, if it's going to be the last one necessarily. Mm hmm. Um, they oftentimes announce this is last season, so it's not always true. But well, it does, it's a very interesting thing that it has an ending, and so you know you're going to arrive somewhere. But 
having all these strange paths and strange ways to get there makes it a very interesting experience knowing there is an ending when you don't know quite what path you're even walking on. Yeah. So I think a movie does serve well myself. I think a novel could potentially do better. Yes. So I'd like to, I, I might read the novel. We'll see. I might too. Um, I, I would agree. I, I also think that um, a movie format also ser- serves it well. I, I have trouble thinking of like, for example, like in a short film, I just don't think you can contain it, you know, like in a short film. Um, and I think also that like I, I talk like part of the reason why I deducted points is because like it's really long. It's really slow. Um, and I think that 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 can be difficult. Um, it just is. But at the same time, if you ask me like, OK, what parts should you cut out? I would have a really hard time. That's my issue with criticizing it for that as well is because it would be really difficult to say well they, they could have done less with this because yeah. you can even say they have so much silence in there cut that out but that's all very necessary for those awkward it, conversations it is. um I, and i think i mean at the end of the day like it's still going to impact like my enjoyment um but i don't necessarily think that actually having it less slow or be shorter would actually make me like it more it would just make me dislike it for different reasons perhaps <laughs> so it's yeah. it's really weird but um you know i think that it just it is what it wanted to be and what it is is really good to me but not to everyone um and i think it just varies on like how much you like and appreciate or connect with what it is but i can't imagine it being like anything else <laughs> did he drink antifreeze <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry i just had like well in the movie he com- they go they stop by the they stop by the tulsa tulsa town place and they get those burrs as they call them which is just like the dairy queen blizzard uh-huh um, and he talks about it being too sweet, and they smell the varnish there, and that's where he gets it. And antifreeze is really sweet. Is antifreeze um, blue? Yes. Okay, because um, something that I noted was those Oreo burrs looked really unappetizing, um, and they looked kind of bluish. <laughs> I registered as like that would kill me, but um, <laughs> not because it was antifreeze, because it was a burr. But yeah, no, uh, I, no, I just mean like the burrs <laughs> looked like unappetizing and kind of blue. I wonder if that was like. And then, like, they were saying it smelled like varnish. I wonder if antifreeze smells kind of like varnish. Yeah, I, I think he might have drank an antifreeze. I gotta look this up. Because, yeah, it's really it's really sweet. He uh, it, But he looks in the dumpster, and there's all those cups of those burrs in there. But in reality, there should have been a whole bunch of, like, the bags of, like, the salts and antifreeze in there. Because that's what you would use on the grounds in that time. Antifreeze can smell like fingernail polish, which I would say can smell like varnish. I would say so. Whoa! So I think you drank antifreeze. I think we cracked the code. Hold up. Does antifreeze make you take your clothes off? <laughs> well, I think he ended up paradoxically undressing at the end because of that. Because uh, in the end, he died because he froze himself out. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think he didn't drink much antifreeze. He said it was too sweet for him. Uh, but I, I think it did kind of like mess with his brain or something. That's really interesting. Yeah, when you're when you are suffering from hypothermia, you reach a place where you want to derow because you feel too hot. It has to do with the way the blood moves throughout the body, because for a long time it tries to like warm all your it, it like removes all the warmth from your limbs, and it keeps it all. Do you like mistake the pain for warmth? No. What? Well, so you actually do feel really warm. What? What's going on? Is, so all the blood is trying to protect your internal organs, so it's all there in like the torso area. It's not out to your limbs. And then when your body is just kind of like giving up and it's realizing that like oh my god my limbs are gonna fall off, 
uh, I believe is kind of like the idea of what the body is thinking there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It dispels all that blood has been trying to keep warm out to your freezing limbs. And so suddenly you have this like warm blood out to your freezing limbs. So it feels very hot. And so you feel like you need to get all your clothes off because you're burning. Interesting. Uh, And that's how we get paradoxical undressing as I understand it. Hmm. So yeah, anyways, a little side note to crack the movie. But um, so our third is there was a wind hissing that I thought had some purpose, but really didn't. Interesting. I'm trying to think of where. <laughs> wind hissing. Um, that is interesting. I feel like when there's wind hissing outside, you kind of lose the idea of what's going on outside. It's just kind of like filling the gap in a way. It's maybe bad to do with it. There was actually a sound that I kept hearing in this movie. I don't remember what kind of sound it was, but uh, it wasn't like a wind hissing sound necessarily. It was like a... I don't know. It was like a, a transition sound. Like a sound... Of like a transition in like a movie or something, um, but it went like not like during scene changes. Sometimes it would happen like uh, I I wonder if there's purpose behind it. I don't entirely know how to describe it, but there is a sound that occurs occasionally in the movie, um, and I don't know what it means nor how to I describe have to see it. it again. I have no idea. I have no idea. I'd have to see it again. <laughs> uh, our next is, I seemed really slow, but I can't tell if that was to add to the discomfort or not, which I think it was. We just kind of went over that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was slow. I don't know how you would fix that, though. It's one of those few things I would critique a movie for that I don't know how to offer an alternative. Yeah, that is, it is a, it's unique in this movie because I think other movies where I've said, oh, it's a little too slow here, I, I could think of ways where it could be less slow, like with Maggie. Yeah. But like this movie, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> My last one is, I'm not even sure what the message is. Nothing really came together in a satisfying way. Also, its pacing was so unengaging that I had a really hard time focusing, which certainly hindered the message. Mm. Mostly, I just felt stupid because I didn't get it. Don't feel stupid because it is, there's a lot that goes behind trying to understand these movies. And I feel like there's this one moment, like there's like a moment that ties it weirdly mm-hmm. that makes it all kind of fall into place a little bit. And if you miss that one moment, then it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um. Maybe it's not one moment. Maybe there's like a few, but like if you if you're not picking up on those, then it falls apart. Yeah, I think generally just if the movie loses you early on, um, yes, you're not going to pay attention to the details. And then if you don't do that, like you don't pay attention to like the slippers, um, like he offers her slippers and the janitor offers her slippers later, the same slippers and like, you know, oh, Mm -hmm. like the janitor has the same thermos that Jake like put in the drawer in the house and like. There's like all these little tiny details that like if you're uninterested and you're bored, you're not going to see them. And then no, no one can understand it at that point. Yeah. The longer you go without understanding it, the less likely you are to understand it. Yeah. And that's not your fault. It's just it didn't keep your attention. (laughs) Yeah. And that and that's just and that's really just the nature of these movies. I feel like Mm -hmm. it's kind of like mess with you. What is reality movies? And I feel like they all are going to suffer to an extent from these things we're talking about. But that's just their nature. And you have to, they just need to do what they do well, well enough that we do enjoy it nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So our last question, if you had to guess, what was the message purpose of this movie? Uh, We just cracked it. It was don't drink antifreeze. That's it. Um, Yep. yep, That was was all of the movie. (laughs) Um, Our first answer is I honestly have no clue, which is fair. Our second is, not sure what the message was supposed to be or what the true movie was, but from my view, it was a raw perspective of an ailing mind and old age, particularly along the lines of dementia and the like. Forgetting names, young woman and faces, losing time, can't remember when they met, mood swings, some hallucinations, the dog, the pig, and pretty much everything else that makes the average person uncomfortable when watching. 
just goes to show what so many people have to live with on a regular basis. And then the comment about the elderly getting sent to a factory or whatever was probably the message thrown in. Hmm. Interesting that you tie it to that comment. I forgot about that comment. Me too. Um, Because it did blend into his good D, but it also does speak to his situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe he's like grateful he didn't or maybe he wanted to like end things before he was thrown in a factory. Yeah. Quote unquote, like not an actual factory, of course. And and it was interesting how um, the woman, of course, mentioned like being into uh, gerontology because apparently she does poetry, art, quantum physics and gerontology. But anyways, mm, <laughs> um, and yeah, how like she's uh, interested um, in like the aging process. And it's like she and then she even talks about like how she hates how society uh, treats the elderly um, and like why that's important for her. So that is interesting why they bring it up. And maybe that is sort of the like like this person said, like that message thrown in there to go back on her having all these studies and she's also a waitress and stuff from the rom-com yeah um <laughs> i i like that her so her deadline in the end like her needing to get home is him kind of like saying i need to get to work tomorrow still like i saw this janitor job to be doing mm-hmm. but also acknowledging like that him being jake though knows he's not going to get there Ah, and that, I guess that's why he just wants to stay a while, you know, enjoy the silence yeah. and the peace. Mm-hmm. And he even mentions that, like, in the school, like, to her, how it's like, oh, you know, it's nice, it's safe around here, nice, you know. So that that is really interesting. So our next one is, it's about a man who deeply regrets how he lived his life and decided to create his own idealized life in his mind. One message is on how some men can make women feel uncomfortable with creeping on them or pressuring them into doing things. Yeah, I do feel like that was prevalent in the film. It was. I'm curious as like if he actually feels like he was a creep or something, because I think we've established it's more from his perspective. So, yeah, there's there are all these instances of him being creepy. And is that just naturally happening because he was a creep and he doesn't think of himself like that? But that's how it comes off, of course. Mm -hmm. Or like, is that something he was worried about? I think he is self-criticizing to some extent because I think in some ways he's imagining how she must have seen saw him like as the as the man who never approached her like how he must have looked. I think he's mm. and, and like how Jake like gets out of the car ready to beat someone because he he feels that the janitor's watching them, right? So he's like I'm going to give him a piece of my mind and this is to himself the janitor. So I think he nah. again is doing himself as like that creep who like, you know, could never get a woman or something. Um, interesting but the, the, yeah this movie does approach that though of like because um, she even mentions like you know it's like in the school how like it's crazy like how like uh, you know I, I can't just like be anywhere as a woman without some guy staring at me and also like how she talks about how baby it's cold outside is you know most definitely a uh, um, you know a coercion song um, yeah and yeah <laughs> it's just like yep yep all right so our next answer is pretty sure this movie is about an old man exploring the possibilities of having a girlfriend and how it worked through the different stages in his life with her as well as dealing with his regrets and the insecurities as he nears death yeah i'd say that i'd say that touches on i still think there's that suicide element to it myself um mm-hmm. and i yeah it's I, I do i think it's largely exploring his regrets and it, i do agree it is exploring possibilities um yeah it's I'd, I'd say you touched on it pretty well if i understand the movie um our next is that women are told to define themselves by their relationships with men which is why the woman's name and job kept changing 
It also seemed to be saying that the way our society treats age makes it so we lose ourselves as we get old. Uh, I don't think it was. I think that inherently uh, any kind of media uh, burdens itself just by being out in the world of carrying messages it did not intend. I don't feel like there was that kind of misogynistic message behind it. Personally, I, it's hard to say because I am a straight white male, so it's very possible I just miss these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like it was something that came off by accident. But I do feel like her not having a real identity was because she was imaginary, not because she was uh, like her life was defined by his. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess technically it was. <laughs> yeah, it te- and technically it was, but not not because of her role as a woman, just because of her role as an imaginary character. Yeah. Um. However, it does, and I do think it, you're right, it does give off that message without intending to. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I like this part you say about it's our society treating age so we lose ourselves as we get old. Uh, yeah, it is interesting that as a society we do that when naturally the elderly are going to have the most to offer us because they've experienced these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is, I do feel like there is some good commentary there. And our last one is, every human life is a strange story, usually with a messy end. That's a good one. It's yeah, such a perfect good. one to end on, too. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It uh, I feel like it really captures the essence of this movie in its raw and vivid form. Yeah. I do like that, by the way, whoever left that. But it yeah, is, that, that's it's, perfect. It's fun to use. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that one. <laughs> um, uh. All right, cool. Well, I got I got my last thoughts out with the antifreeze thing. And are there any last thoughts you have? I really like the antifreeze thing, by the way. Um, that's really cool. And it also allowed me to to bring up the the gross looking Oreo burrs. <laughs> um, uh, I you know I think we kind of hit on everything. Um, to be honest, yeah. I like where we ended. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say overall, uh, I know I gave it a six, but the truth is I probably enjoyed it like it was an eight or something. But I think that I gave it a six because I recognize that in general, it's going to be true. It is more of a six movie just with popular with the public. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll remain on my six, but I do think it was very enjoyable still. And I definitely think it's worth a watch, especially if you're one that likes to have these weird, open ended, strange stories if you if you're really hard in your structured narratives uh it's not for you Mm -hmm. that's okay it's not that that isn't the case for everyone yes it's it's definitely not a movie for for everyone uh but for the for the people that it is for it's it's so good and so worthwhile yes so worth watching yeah well thank you all so much for listening we have been paths of fear you can catch us on twitch mondays and wednesdays at 7 p.m we have Oh, our website ours is our website like up up Ian or is it just kind of up? <laughs> it's it's still not up up. Uh, okay. I I have a homepage that I made. It's not up yet because I I don't want to release it because I feel like it could be better. But I don't know. Maybe I should put something up there. Um, there there's good progress made. We're just refining it right now. Yeah. Really. And I'm like. I'm I'm procrastinating hard on putting all of our content in there, like because I yes, I gotta put a lot like, to do. I gotta put all the movies in there and all the like the teasers and the summaries, and I gotta rewrite some of the summaries because I stole some of them off Wikipedia for our earlier episodes. 
not not completely, but still substantially. Um, anyways, there's oh, I'm procrastinating on so much stuff there, but I'll get to it hopefully. It is getting done, and there is progress made. That's yeah. what, that's what matters. <laughs> Uh, uh and i mean we're, we were we're just coming out of like midterms and it feels like we're already going into our finals so very true it's uh our lives have been a little hectic but i'm really glad we've been able to keep this going yeah. so um i will talk with our discord i think we've talked about it some of doing like a, a monthly series that we review as well mm-hmm. uh just on the side so we don't show it at regular times or anything but we have times where you can stop in and watch it with us or you can watch it on your own but we will talk about series as well We'll see if that happens this month of November, uh, but we do hope to get that going, I think. Yeah, that'd be cool. So yeah, thank you all so much, and you have a wonderful day. Farewell.